Hey guys, this is Chael Sonnen. Make sure you check out my podcast, You're Welcome. We talk about MMA, we talk about professional wrestling, politics, anything you need to know about today's top issues so that you can sound intelligent and you get them all from me, your humble host, America's favorite gangster. Make sure you check me out. You're Welcome with Chael Sonnen. New episodes every Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday at Podcast One App, Apple Podcasts, and of course, PodcastOne.com. Welcome, Doctor Podcast. Uh, don't forget to uh, support the pods, support this pirate ship, support the, those that support us. Uh, it is my distinct privilege to welcome today Dennis Prager. Dennis, uh, of course, is doing with Adam the No Safe Spaces crowdfunding right now is live at nosafespaces.com. Please support the film, share it to social media. The goal is to raise a million dollars in 30 days. And those of you that do support it, some perks you can look forward to with Adam is come party with Adam and the lackeys, have dinner with Adam, VIP seats to a live show in Irvine with Dennis and Adam. All that merely for participating in the in the crowdfunding for No Safe Spaces. Do so. I urge you to go there now. Uh, also, Dennis, of course, is Monday through Friday on AM 870, The Answer, and you can see him at DennisPrager.com. Also, Prager University, something Adam has done some videos for and I will be doing right, that's great. shortly. Yep, Dennis, yep. welcome, and tell me about No Safe Spaces. Well, good, always always good to be with you, and I remember our time together very fondly at Thank the you. public event. I don't need another project in life. Between a daily radio show, three hours, column every week, Lecturing constantly and, uh, and and so much else and, and a major book project. I don't want another project. What's the book? But the book. Can you talk about it? Uh, yes. Actually, you'll find this fascinating. Uh, <laughs> this is another world. I live in many worlds, I, I, I'm happy to say, actually. Uh, theology and music are two of my passions. So yeah. I'll be conducting this summer at the at the Walt Disney. Wow! Hall. Congratulations. Thank you. So that, wow. that's that's a big passion, and uh, so is religion. And I have uh, worked for thirty five years on teaching the first five books of the Bible, known as the Torah, uh, to uh, people of every faith, because uh, I it's com- it's profoundly misunderstood to the extent that it's even known. So I'm writing this gigantic commentary, a thousand pages, uh, on the first five books of the Bible, and uh, it's it's all I do when I'm not doing all these other things. So the last thing that I wanted was a project, but this to do it with Adam, to make a movie with Adam, and have the people who are who are behind this who are so big in film. What is happening on our campuses, and that's what it's about. And it'll, of course, Adam ensures that there will be a real level of humor. And I learned very early in my broadcast career, I don't think, if I if I didn't have a sense of humor, I don't think I'd be on this long. Yeah, yeah. It's, you because have I talk about bit. such uh, difficult subjects that if yeah. you don't crack yourself up, at least, you yeah. know, maybe I can't speak for the listeners, but I crack <laughs> me up. And uh, uh, so anyway, having Adam is, is, is precious. And it's not just for his humor. He's, he's, he's a very deep human being. So uh, Adam and I will be going to universities and, and, and uh, we'll be with students and we'll explain this is a very, very dangerous trend, the utter intolerance that is dominating campuses. As I say, you know, uh, it doesn't matter what your, your persuasion politically, conservative or liberal, you should be as frightened because this is not a matter of conservative or liberal. Liberals are open-minded. This is left-wing. This is, this is not liberal. 
and I, I draw a very strong line between liberal and left because I was raised liberal and I, and I, I profoundly respect liberalism. It was, it's a great, beautiful doctrine. I don't agree with its view on extensive government, but beyond that, I'm a liberal. But of course, I'm called a conservative, and I don't care. I could be called an antelope. It doesn't matter to me yeah, what I'm those called. Those terms are losing less meaning. Well, I mean, in this case, more more. if you're a liberal, you have to hate what's happening because it's giving liberalism a bad name. I mean, you know, people are just shut up if they come to the campus. There are violence on the campus, taking over of deans and presidents' offices, uh, safe rooms. I mean, that's where we get our, our point, the name of the movie. No safe spaces. I mean, do you, can you imagine? I mean, when you went to college, if you, if you yeah. didn't agree with a speaker, did they give you Play-Doh and stuffed animals? I mean, you know how pathetic that is? And plus, the violence has the, the ring of uh, bonfires of the vanity. That really. is exactly correct. Yeah. Yeah, and other bad fires. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, as it pertains to intolerance and the safe rooms, I, um, I, I, was, uh, I have a radio program as well, and I was talking to a guy that was a college professor and he said, you know, I've been watching this for 30 years, and I, let, me, let me just sort of give you my thoughts. I don't know if it's, you'll find it's accurate or not. He said, for one thing, the safe rooms started as the professors creating safe places in their offices, originally directed at the LGBT community to come in and share their, share their thoughts and feelings. This is safe for you to say anything you need to say as an LGBT community member. Then it suddenly started moving out of the professor's office all over, and then it became this thing that we now we now know of. Uh-huh. But it's an interesting that that might be the history of it. Uh, I I didn't know that, yeah. but and and obviously it it doesn't, and and, and I understand that. Yeah, it doesn't change uh, what's right, happening. But it does. But, but what's happening now is is. But but let me. Here's yeah. the part I want to tell you. So he also said he goes look he goes when we and there's there's corollaries to this too. He goes when we, we were in the college in the sixties and seventies. The big thing was freedom. We wanted to be free, man. Free to do what we wanted to do. Remember like Peter Fonda. Free to get high. Free to, free to ride. Freedom was a big sort of rallying cry. I think, I think from my age group particularly, parents were too much up in our shit and we just wanted to be free. I think that's where some of that came from. And he said that that shifted from freedom to tolerance. You had to tolerate everything and anything now. Freedom doesn't, begs no issue. That's sort of an assumption. But now it's be tolerant. Tolerant of whatever – I say you need to be tolerant of and everything. And at the same time, the the authority structure, the people that were begging for freedom in the 60s and 70s have now become the college administrators of today. And their credo was freedom, don't trust the man, don't trust anybody over 30, and don't trust authority. So they are not comfortable being parents, being adults, being authorities. They can't do it. So when the kids go, hey, we took over the library, and they're like, well, what are we going to do? It's like, yeah, you get, get them the F out of there. No, no, man, we, what are we supposed to do? We're not, just, they want to take over. Does that, does that sort oh, of – Oh, yeah. yeah. L- l- you know, it, I saw a cartoon recently. It was very funny. They had uh, – I don't remember what year, you know, 1950s and now or 60s or whatever. Anyway, so 1950s cartoon, that it shows uh, the parents looking at the kid and uh, saying – sternly looking at the kid and saying, what are we going to do about these bad grades? And the, and then today's cartoon is the parents looking at the teacher <laughs> and saying, what are we going to do about these bad wow, grades? that's interesting. Uh, it's, it's, it's all changed. It, it, and you're right. It's uh, Look, I blame this on the baby boomers, my generation. Yeah. I saw it then. I, I have to say uh, it's not a matter of pride and it's not a matter of shame. It's just a fact. I was – I never fit in my generation. I, to be honest, I remember when I was at Columbia Graduate School in the 70s, 
I remember one day walking around and thinking, I, I'm, I'm from another planet. I, I believed in God. I believed in religion. I believed that parents are authority figures. I, I believed you respect teachers. I believed that America was the greatest country in the world. And I was alone. I was essentially alone. Uh, the, uh, all around me was America spelled with a K, like it was a fascist country, and uh, it, you know, called an imperialist country. Don't trust anyone over 30. And I'm thinking, don't trust anyone over 30. I read a book that's 3,000 years old, and I trust it. <laughs> that's a hell of a lot older than 30. Yeah. And, and so they, they – I don't think they know how to be authorities. And so the kids are running Well, but the uh, irony is they're totally authoritarian. Well, that's the irony. The, the, how, how about this yes. tolerance versus freedom conflict? Well, you well first there? of all, the tolerance thing – the whole tolerance thing is bizarre. Yeah. First of all, there's no tolerance because there's no tolerance of anybody on the right. Okay. So that's – so it's not tolerant. Let's be honest. Number two, tolerance was transformed from tolerance to approval. If you don't approve, you're intolerant. Right, 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 right. right. Okay. That's so, a great point. Oh, that's hugely yeah, yeah. important. So I'll give you an example with me. So uh, I I always believe a, a, a gay human being is created in God's image every bit as much as a straight. It is a non-issue. It was always a non-issue to me. But I did believe as a religious, in my case, Jew, that uh, that a marriage is to be between a man and a woman. Okay, fine. So if I do believe that, I'm called intolerant because tolerance means now approval. That's not the same thing. And, and, and of course, I, it's not a matter of disapproval of a gay. A gay is a gay. That's the way it is. It's a non-issue to me. But, but, but marriage, I believe, just as, by the way, most people who believe in that believe that marriage should be one, uh, one and one. In other words, two people. Why not have three or four people? And uh, so, but anyway, that's the big problem of the tolerance is not tolerant and it doesn't even mean tolerate. It means approve. And the other big point you made, I saw in one of the little videos that you and Adam had done uh, as part of the crowdfunding effort for No Safe Spaces, the issue of victimhood. That's the other big thing, right? Well, I, I wrote a book. It's a, a, a good selling book because it, it really does help people. I, I wrote a book on happiness. Has nothing to do with politics. And it's called Happiness is a Serious Problem. I wrote it in 1999, HarperCollins, and it's still out there. And uh, I only mentioned if people want to get a, a used copy, I'm, I'm just as happy. I'm, hmm. I don't pay the mortgage on that book. But uh, the, the, the point being, I have a chapter. It, it, all the whole book is about obstacles to happiness and then how to overcome the obstacles. And one chapter is on thinking you're a victim. It is not possible. Literally, it is, it is just like you can't defy gravity. It is not possible to f- believe you're a victim and be happy. I have a friend that, um, in fact, we did the podcast with, what podcast is that, Gary? The, I guess it's up last week, Wesley Chapman podcast, uh, who was hor- ritualistically abused and ended up in psychiatric hospitals and whatever. And one day sort of had a moment of clarity and started climbing out of it. And he now helps other people, what he calls sort of mobilize the hero. Get rid of the victim, mobilize the hero, that there's a hero in each of us. Well, if if he had been abused like that, and he's a great man for, for oh, doing, you have I, no I, idea. I mean, this guy's know, so inspiring. None, none of us can hold a candle no, to that. That's right. I, you know, but uh, but that's uh, 
there's a great saying in the 12 step program that somebody I know well who uh, just who's in it said so listen you'll love this if you haven't heard this Drew I'll be heard you, it but I'll, okay, I'll be great so to I am know if curious I, I am curious yeah. if you've heard it because I didn't okay. I learned this like two months ago uh. and uh, I can't get it out of my mind uh. and it goes simple as this pour me pour me pour me another drink yeah yeah have you heard that yeah yeah, yeah. it's so brilliant yeah. The yeah. more you think poor me, the, the, the worse you're off. Yeah, it's sort of the pity pot model. So, so when I read, when I read uh, the, these, this, I'm thinking of this black uh, columnist at the New York Times, Charles Blow, and, and he writes about how he tells his kids how racist America is and you know how uh, cops are racist and, and whites are racist and it's systemic racism. And I'm thinking, poor kids. Yeah. My father... May he rest in peace. My father wrote his senior thesis at City College of New York on anti-Semitism in America and raised me and my brother to believe that we were the luckiest Jews in history to live in America. After writing his thesis on anti-Semitism in America. Wow. And, th- and he saved me from exactly that view. And that's why I can embrace everybody as, as, as I have my whole life. I didn't see the non-Jew as a latent anti-Semite, as Jews who came from Europe did. I saw myself as the luckiest Jew in history to live in America. A black should be raised to believe they're the luckiest black in history to be raised in America, or Hispanic, or Asian. That's, that's, but the opposite. Oh, woe unto you, woe unto you, woe unto you. Unless you're a white, Christian, heterosexual male, it's woe unto you. Oh, women, this is the one that drives me the craziest. Women walking around like they're victims. I, do you know how many more, you, I'm sure you know better than I, how many more men commit suicide than women? For, for How many more women graduate high school? How many more women go to college than men? Every social indicator is better for women today, but woe unto me, I'm a woman. What do we do with the victimhood? How do we get over that? Confront it. Yell at them. You are not a victim, and you're pathetic if you think you are. I have no tolerance for people who walk. You know who's a victim? I know a guy. I know two, amazingly, I know two men with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, which means eventually your entire body closes down, but you can blink. One of them is at that stage. He can only blink. Mm. I visited him and his wife and his family a couple of months ago. This man who can only blink, he blinks words onto a computer when the right letters come up and then a voice comes out and that's how you have a, a talk with him. His, his wife and he, I thought I would enter a room that was so somber and depressing because it, it doesn't really get worse than that, uh, physically speaking. Mm-hmm. It was among the, the most upbeat rooms, no woe unto me room that I had ever entered. I'm going to have the wife on my happiness hour. That's one of my hours a week is on happiness. And if they're not victims, who the hell are these girls at college to walk around like victims? Well, victimhood is a, is a challenging topic for people because at its core, there's a lack of trust of other people, certainly a lack of trust of closeness with other people. And to get people into that frame of closeness again is always what I thought what the challenge was. To teach them that you can trust other people, you can be close. Because it really, it's other brains that get us out of victimhood, to be fair, right? 
I don't know. I you have much more uh, tolerance for uh-huh. these people than I do. I you you have a, a sort of sympathy uh, for their condition. I have contempt. Okay. If you are in this society and think you're a victim, I have contempt for you. I admit it. Black, uh, Jew, white, male, female. I don't give a damn. You are. The vast majority of people in this country are unbelievably lucky. Maybe because I started traveling so early. I've been to 130 countries. I have seen I have seen where it's rough to live. But doesn't it make it even more tragic that even with all the privilege we have in America, they still feel like shit? They yes. But, well, uh, uh, right. So but the, but they take it out on others. Well, we kind of allow that. To be fair, well, we allow it if we if we don't uh, confront it. I, I again, uh, my confrontation is: I'm sorry, I don't respect your victimhood. Let's let's talk about happiness because that's another sort of corollary to a lot of this stuff. Right? W- what do you mean by happy? Because that's the that's one of my biggest criticisms of all the happiness literature is that they don't know what they're talking about. So. Right. Well, I I will admit it. In the opening, in the introduction to my book, I said people ask me all the time for a definition of happiness. I will not provide one. Uh, it is what is it like the Supreme Court justice who famously said, "I can't define pornography, but I know it when I see it." Uh, in, in that sense, I think uh, let's put it this way: I think people know what unhappy means. Yeah. Maybe they don't know what happy means. Okay, so well, I, I want to undo unhappiness. Well, okay, so so there is a certain amount of unhappiness that can't be present in order for you to be happy. You have to have, be able to eat. You have to be physically well. Right. You, a certain amount of unhappiness can't be there. But but I'm gonna I'm gonna posit that happiness is of two stripes, that that we are way too caught up in pleasure as happiness, and I'm gonna I've always been arguing that pleasure is not the answer. It's not real happiness. My my heroin addicts first hit of the day experience pleasure. That's right. They experience euphoria. Right. They are not happy. They well, not, you'll be happy. Then you'll be happy to know. That I have a whole chapter on the difference between fun and happiness. Okay, which uh, that's why your guy kept going back to that. I, when I was doing the Prager Youth thing, he kept bringing up fun. I go, mm. it did, I should have read. He should have recommended that chapter. To right, me. right. So because what I was saying is what I'm, yes. I'm going to do this for. We're Prager saying you. the same thing. Well, there's yes, but there is there's fun and happiness. There's fun and pleasure, and then there's eudaimonia. This is a Aristotelian term. He, he felt that the it, be, it became translated as happiness, probably the more accurate way of translating is flourishing. That he felt the the reason the telos of humanity of the human being as such was he, something he called eudaimonia. So there is hedonic happiness on one hand, which is fleeting and is associated with desire. And once it's satiated, you're back to desire, like Schopenhauer right. said, right? You go from, I go from satisfaction By to By the desire. way, forgive me. Don't remember where you were. I just want to give the, 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 your listeners an illustration. How long does the excitement of a new car last? Right. Go ahead. Right. That's the idea. Right. Eudaimonic happiness, it turns out, is a, leading a certain kind of life. Uh, and, and central in it is being of service, I'm putting that in quotes because that's a pretty broad term, to other people. Other people is what create meaning uh, in one way or another conceived. Is that, in other words – Oh, I, I couldn't agree right. more. So I, you I, – and they've looked at this now biologically. It's that our brains are firing differently with this kind of – happiness measures are enhanced. Immune function is better. We feel better about ourselves in our life. So it's really – eudaimonia is leading a good life and you never hear people talking about – 
you, a good life. You hear about the good life all the time. Yes, hey, man, you know, that's a big difference. But, but I never hear anybody talking about a good life anymore, right. and that is where real happiness comes from. Oh, I, I, I 100% agree. And back to the earlier part, I said, remember the opening comment I made was, you can't be happy if you think you're a victim because victims don't do things for others. Victims are caught up in themselves. That's interesting. Well, yes, being caught in yourself is a very no, no. Painful it's over. Place. It's yeah. over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, self preoccupation, but self preoccupation comes with pain. I mean, think about it. if you smash your finger with a hammer, try not to think about it. Right? You're, you're, you're. When you're in pain, your body focuses on your pain. Right. It's well, you have a more pain, sympathetic view. I do. I, 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 <laughs> I do. You do. I think. I, uh, well, self- I need people like you too to I help think, fight okay, this. Well, so I, I, think it ta- I think it takes all kinds to help you, no, fight it, this. It right? does. But I, I think it comes not from pain as much as from narcissism. I think we're born narcissistic. Mm, yes, we and are. And if it's not knocked out out of us, it stays there. Yes. It was knocked out of me at a very early age. <laughs> my, my parents had, had brooked no self-preoccupation, uh, never felt sorry for me, didn't let me feel sorry for me. Uh, it was a life largely of demands. This is what you have to do. This is what you have to do. Uh, and and uh, it, I'm, a much ha- I'm a happier person than the kids who grew up with, gee, you know, like, like the, I'll never forget uh, my older son was about was two, and some five year old walked over to him in the park and threw him down. I mean, just out of nowhere, mm-hmm. the mother ran over to the boy who threw my son down and said, "Honey, what's troubling you? Or what did he do to you? <laughs> no, what did he do yeah, to you? Yeah. I could handle, yeah. but what's troubling you? Oh, yeah. What are you? You got to be joking." Yeah. <laughs> when, when was this? Oh, uh, 30 years ago. So he was it, was already, years it was already underway. Oh, absolutely. I, I've got to take yes. a quick break to remind people about True Car, if you don't mind, Dennis. Hang on one second. I'm um, well you, aware of sponsors. That's right. If you are shopping for a car, make sure you are getting real pricing on actual inventory. People might configure cars online only to find out that car is not available. Well, not with True Car because once you look at that scattergram and lock in a price that you think is fair based on what other people are paying in your area – you are getting an actual price, real pricing on actual inventory in a True Car certified dealer's lot. It's pricing offered by True. It's not pricing offered by True Car, but pricing offered from an actual True Car certified dealer. Over three million cars have been sold by the over thirteen thousand True Car certified dealers throughout the country. True Car users save an average of three thousand dollars off MSRP, and you get discounts you just can't get anywhere else. We've had several stories. Uh, come our way. People delighted with the extra discounts that you get at TrueCar, in addition to that $3,000 off MSRP that you can count on saving. So when you're ready to buy, visit TrueCar, see what other people are paying, and you will enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Yeah, this is, this is um, it's an interesting time. I, I don't know quite where we're, do you know, do you have a sense of where we're going as a country? Or um, are we- uh, I, uh, I, I'm not optimistic. But but every generation, you know, has no, always no, felt I think like my, that. I, my father died at 96, and he would deny that constantly. I had him on the show every year on his birthday, July He would deny 18th, what? Deny being pessimistic? That every, no, that every generation felt that it was a doomsday and yeah. so on. He, he uh, I think, no, no, we, we have reached a critical uh, point. I mean, 50% of college students, according to Pew Research... Fifty percent don't believe in free speech. They don't. No, look it up. Forty-six percent, I think, to be precise. And what they say is, "Oh, yeah, we believe in free speech, except for hate speech." Oh, right. So they think that that's free speech. Right. But as I point out, the whole point of free speech 
is free speech for what you don't like. There's, nobody cares if free speech for love speech. Yeah, that's easy. Yes. It's the stuff that's hard right. to tolerate. I remember when the Nazis, when American Nazis marched in a Jewish neighborhood in, in, uh, of a Holocaust survivors in Skokie, Illinois, mm. and the ACLU and others, including Jews, defended their right to bring the swastika into neighborhoods of people whose whole families had been murdered at Auschwitz. But, but that's America. We allow that. Let, but but the irony is, it's not even about Nazi. It's a it's it's about Heather McDonald couldn't couldn't can't go on campuses because she said that blacks have more to fear from black murderers than from white cops. That is now considered unutterable on a campus. That's frightening. Is it is it legislation? I mean, I know in California they're starting to get some movements going here to to demand free speech on campuses. Is that going to help? Uh, I haven't heard about that. I know that a few university professors have signed the petition, but it means nothing. University professors are are uh, are not a courageous group, and the deans and presidents are the least courageous in America. They they really don't believe in in the home of the brave. There's no bravery on campus, and any and all they have to do, all professors needed to do was to line up in front of a building where a conservative speaker was invited and say, you're going to have to get through us to get in there and stop this speech. And it would end it. It would end it. They'll see all the liberal professors standing there and saying, we don't happen to agree with her, but so what? Do the, the professors also have a limited view of free speech? Are they? I think they do, and I, I think it's a combination of cowardice and, uh, and a limited view of free speech. After all, where did the kids learn this notion that you can't have free speech for hate speech? They learned it from professors. They didn't pick it up on their own. They learned it in high school. It's it's getting it's what you see in universities is already started in high schools. It's a bizarre time. Are we missing something about what this is? Or, or? well, yes, it, they are not uh, people who believe in liberty have been replaced by people who believe in equality. The French Revolution is overtaking the American Revolution. The American Revolution was about liberty. The French Revolution was about equality. That's true. Egalité. Egalité. And that, Egalité, they, this fraternité. Is, right, and liberté. But they didn't realize you can't have liberté and égalité. One Why of not? them. Why not? Tell me. Okay, very simple. If there's freedom, yeah. if there's liberty, then, uh, then the Yankees shortstop is going to make 20 times more than a teacher, is going to make 10 times more than a surgeon. Is that right? No. Uh, but it's free. In a free society, shortstops make more than teachers and surgeons. Do they do more good for society? No, they don't. But I would defend a free society to enable a shortstop to make more money. If you legislate shortstops must make less or the same amount as a teacher, then you ha- means that there is no more liberty. Well, it's it's interesting. The, the notion of equality has gotten sort of bastardized too. I mean, Abraham Lincoln addressed it. And he, it's actually, his words are on the First World War Memorial in Pittsburgh, on the left left side of it. And essentially he says, you know, the purpose of our this country is to give people an equal playing field in the, what do you call it, the, the fight of life or whatever. Like, we should all be given equal. That's right. Equal, opportunity. Equal opportunity. And equality before and, the law. Right. But the, and, but the left became, wants equality of result. And, and he said, and he in his own, I think in the Lincoln-Douglas debate said, don't confuse equality of opportunity with equal in all respects. 
We are not right. equal in all respects. No, and especially not of result. He said. He said. You know, I'm taller than all these other That's guys. That's correct, Mister. You know, Stephen right. Douglas is shorter than me. Right. He's got a better tongue than if, I do. If I and, stuttered, you know. I would not have a talk show. Right. Is that fair? It's not fair. Equality. It's it's a it's a nice goal. To I don't sort even know. Once it becomes a goal, uh, you're going to have tyranny. It's not. It is not a goal. I have no goal of equal. I have a goal of of equality before the law uh, and and equal opportunity. That's before it. The law. Yeah. I do not have any goal of equal result. And, and then, how do we? Um, how do we help this generation? Sort of under it, the other thing I was thinking is I, I went and saw Hamilton a couple weeks ago. And I was watching it, and I thought, oh, this history isn't quite accurate. But, okay, I'm very interested in what's going on here. And then I thought, oh, my God. I just realized that, that the average person, particularly the average young person, has no attachment to this history. Not only Correct. They, not only do they not know it. No, there's no emotional they attachment. They don't cherish it. That's, yes. That's the killer. And I thought, oh, my God, that's all we are is an idea. Yes. We're based on an idea. College kids are voting to remove the American flag from their campuses. Well, but they – but it's fine if they're also attached to the – Basic principles and history and, and the great thoughts that went into creating this, right. but they, they no they all don't they know, know is they were slave it. owners. Oh, that's all they know. Well, that's all they know about the American past. And is there anything we can do? Yes, educate. That's why yeah. we started Prager University. Yeah. When we get four hundred million views a year, most of the viewers, according to Facebook and YouTube, are in fact. Uh, under 35. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, and, and that's despite the fact that YouTube keeps putting us on the restricted list because they don't agree with our politics. And and, and there's, we have a black woman. The latest course is of a black professor, Carol Swain at Vanderbilt, and she's talking about the history of the Democratic Party and Republican Party, how the Democratic Party has been far more racist in the past than the Republican. Sure. That is just – just today it went on the restricted list on YouTube. Well, that's supposed to be for violence and sex. Not a black professor telling you that the Democratic Party had racists. I mean, that's what's happening. They were terribly racist in the re- yes, in the of course. War era. The Republican Party was founded for one reason: to yeah. oppose slavery. It's very strange. Well, no. sort of. It's, not, <laughs> it's a little more to, complicated than that, but but yes. No, no. Were, the Republican Party was founded it was, to be the anti-slavery it, it, it party. Was the that anti-spread was that was spread of slavery. Okay, fine. Yeah, anti-spread. Yes, yeah. but they well right. But, yeah. All right, fair enough. Yeah. But they didn't want it anywhere. Right. But they certainly didn't want it to spread. Yeah, and and again, people don't know that that history. No, of course not. I, I Kate, riddle me this. I have a, I have a pet theory about uh, the Kansas Nebraska Act. I I believed that the rail the transcontinental railroad was very originally going to go through St. Louis. I mean, it was the gateway to the West. They were it was called the gateway. It was set up for the railroad, and all of a sudden one day it goes to Chicago overnight. Went to Chicago. Uh huh. You think I it's think, slavery is the issue? I think Stephen A. Douglas struck a deal. He'd throw down the Missouri Compromise if they put the railroad through the through Chicago. That's a great idea. Is that an interesting uh, theory? Th- th- because, fascinating. Because that's what blew Abraham Lincoln's mind. He goes, until yesterday, no one ever thought the Missouri Compromise was anything other than appropriate and leading to the ultimate. Now, now we had all that land from the Mexican-American War, and that was, of course, in play. Right. But still, you put the parallel across That was there. the assumption. And, and that no one ever questioned it. Everyone was satisfied until right. one day mm-hmm. the Kansas-Nebraska Nebraska Act get pushed right, through. Right. I think it's the railroad. Right? I, like, I like it. Right? And you see that? I'm, for that alone, I'm happy it came on your All right. Show. Well, I'll let you go at that point. <laughs> no, no. So, that's great. And, and, I, and I hope people will uh, help fund the uh, this movie. What, what, what is the, uh, no what safe is the, what are you going to do the what's, the, what's the plan? Well, we're going to go to campuses and we're going to talk to students and, and we're going to highlight what's happening in a very, very uh, light and serious way, both. That's why it's a great combination, Adam and myself, 
because he, he's not all funny and I'm not all serious, but obviously there's a division of labor to a certain extent. But but you're going to you're going to be up there on stage, but you're also going to be out yes, in right. the campuses. That is entirely, and, yeah. yes. We're yeah. going to, for example, we're going to visit, you know, where I went to Columbia, and, you know, and it's, you know, it'd be sort of a, a homecoming for Dennis. You know, the uh, president of Columbia is a First Amendment specialist lawyer. I think he also teaches at the law school. I forget the guy's name, but my daughter went is going there now, and she and she sent me back uh, drop boxes of the lectures, and they were quite interesting, an elaborate conversation about the First Amendment and free speech. And uh, I don't understand how – I don't see how he could support the way things are going now based on his logic well, in that, in that uh, class. The, look – so, but anyway, get, get I, I him. I have very get dark him. view. I have dark yeah. view of these well, college. Maybe, but, but, but maybe he who has a good uh, grasp he, of this. He would come on my show. I could sooner get, I, I really do believe, the president of Belgium <laughs> than, uh, than I, the prime minister of Belgium yeah. than I could the, the president of Colombia. They last, don't want to be challenged. Well, and the other issue is let, let's uh, – Lee Bollings, Bollinger? Bollinger, Bollinger, oh, yeah. is he still the president? I yeah. think he was. Yeah, he was the one who introduced Ahmadinejad. Yeah, and he, um, the other issue about the, the First Amendment free speech is that people don't know that history either. Was it really the way we understand free speech now is the modern sort of understanding of it didn't really occur until the mid-20th century. It was actually it, – it, free speech, I mean, taking – Taking aim at the government was considered treasonous and and unpatriotic, and it it got protected in the post first during the First World War for conscientious objectors. They were considered to be uh, hate speech, essentially. Right. Well, Wilson yeah. was not a lover of liberty. Right. Right. The first progressive president. I just might throw in as a as an aside. Right. And, and to me, uh, whenever I want smite super smart people in the White House, I, get, I think about Wilson. I go, oh, exactly. I'm not sure that's what that office is. No, really it means. is not. It is not. Well, you remember Buckley's famous phrase? No. Uh, I'll take the first hundred names in the Boston phone book to uh, govern my country sooner than a hundred Harvard professors. Uh, interesting. Well, listen, we look forward to No Safe Spaces. Please be a part of the crowdfunding activity there at nosafespaces.com. And check out Dennis Prager's show Monday through Friday. What's the it's like, Well, it's uh, all over the country. So ah. they just, you know, you can you, you, there's an app. You can look it up on what station I'm on. Perfect. And PragerUniversity.com for the five-minute videos. Great. And uh, Adam's one of those videos. You guys want to check that out. I'll be one of those videos yeah, coming I'm up. I'm very excited. And, that and I'm going to talk about happiness. The some of the stuff we Terrific. talked about here. So. Terrific. Dennis, it's a privilege as always. I really appreciate your spending some time with us. And uh, good so luck much. with No Safe Spaces. Thank you. See you next time. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes. Only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com.